following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. Now, we are in the series on the Holy Spirit and coming down the home stretch now in this, in this series, we're looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit as uh, that picture unfolds over the whole biblical story. So we started looking at the Spirit in creation and we've worked our way through the Spirit in the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit's relationship to our character, the formation of our character. Today I want to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yep. I, uh, when I was first planning this series, I really felt strongly that I wanted to do a message on the gifts of the Spirit because I think it's an important part of the Spirit's role and work, right? This is vital. Uh, but to be honest, I approach this with some fair interpretation. I haven't been quite sure how to, how to get into this topic and what to say. I know that the gifts of the Holy Spirit is a topic on which there are different views and perspectives. There are different experiences and practices of some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a lot that could be said about every one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, more than we've got time to do this morning. And I know as well that this whole topic of the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, tends to cause a lot of heat among Christians. It can be polarizing, and it's got the potential to be divisive. But then I thought, well, we got through the whole book of Revelation last year, right? So how bad can it be, you know? <laughs> Let's just dive in. We're not, we're not afraid of the thorny stuff here at Shaw, so we're just going to jump in and uh, see what happens. And can I just say at the outset that I hope we can approach this topic, as with every topic, with the ethos of our church community, which is we are a unity in diversity here. There's a broad range of people in our church community uh, who hold to different views and come out of different traditions and backgrounds. And we allow space for difference and diversity and different perspectives while holding together on the things that are most important to our faith. So can we go into it with that ethos and that spirit and uh, just have an open-minded heart to one another and to the Scriptures this morning? Okay, and take that silence as a yes, and we're going to move forward, right? That's my usual policy. All right, thank you. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, here we go. This is one of the key passages on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is the passage where Paul talks about that wonderful image of the church as a human body, the body of Christ. And just before he gets to that description, he gives this little introduction to what the gifts of the Spirit are. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one, just as He determines. Now, just go back to where we started there in verse 4. The word that Paul uses there for gifts is the word, the Greek word, charisma. Obviously, where we get the English word charisma, but the word itself 
is just an extension of the Greek word charis, which means grace. So right at the outset, this is important, that the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives are expressions of God's grace. The most literal translation of that word gifts is grace gifts. They're grace offerings. They're grace gifts. That's a good way to think about them. So they're not divine entitlements. They're not something that we have some right to innately. They're certainly not for our self-promotion or our self-edification. They are gifts of God's grace, and they are a sign to us of how much we are loved by Him, and they're gifts of His mercy into our lives and into our church community. That word charisma is also where we get the word charismatic. That probably triggers all kinds of associations for you. Uh, We think about charismatic churches, charismatic gifts, charismatic, the charismatic movement. And typically, when we think about the charismatic movement or charismatic churches, we tend to associate that with a couple of particular gifts, particularly speaking in tongues and prophecy. And we think, well, that's, that's charismatic gifts as opposed to the other kinds of gifts. But in fact, the word charismatic is just an extension of exactly the same word, charisma, which applies to all of the gifts. All of the gifts are gifts of God's grace, and they are broad and they are diverse. So we could say every one of us is charismatic, right? I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but aren't we all charismatic? By virtue of the fact that the Holy Spirit has given us all gifts, all to be used for His glory. Every church that receives and uses these many gifts is a charismatic church. So we just have to be careful at the outset that we don't become reductionistic and narrow down the gifts of the Spirit to just one or two and focus only on those. I remember when Anna and I were dating in our teenage years, We went to a Christian conference, a student conference, and one of the things we did during that week is went out in in pairs and shared our faith with the neighboring communities around where this conference was being held. And we all went out and knocked on doors and tried to initiate these spiritual conversations with people. And if people weren't home, we would leave a flyer in their letterbox, which promoted the local church in that area, encouraged people to go along. So we went through all of that and came back and we were debriefing, talking about it, talking about our experiences. And... Anna and I were in a group of students, and one of the guys in this group piped up and said uh, that he had refused to give out these flyers if somebody wasn't home. He wouldn't put the flyer in the letterbox. And we asked him why, and it turned out that he, well, he said, I don't believe that that church has the Holy Spirit. Now, I think what he meant by that is that that church didn't practice particular gifts of the Holy Spirit particularly speaking in tongues and prophecy, right, as a visible thing in their church congregation. And, because, and he knew that, and because of that, in his mind, they didn't have the Spirit. So what he'd done, maybe without even thinking about it, is he'd taken the whole expansive work and person and ministry of the Holy Spirit and narrowed it down to one or two gifts. And if those gifts weren't visible and active in this church community, in his mind, they don't have the Spirit at all. And I think we've got to be careful to avoid that error, to just reduce the Spirit down to one or two things and focus only on a very few select group of gifts. The range of gifts the Spirit gives is incredibly broad, and we have to appreciate the diversity of gifts the Spirit gives and the diversity of ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives and in our church community. So, Have a look at that list of gifts that Paul gives you there in 1 Corinthians 12. I've put them up on screen here just as a a list, like as a bullet-pointed list, so you can see them there at a glance. And let me put beside them the other 
lists of gifts in the New Testament. There are three other passages that mention various types of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And so there you can see them, and and that gives you an opportunity to compare and contrast the different gifts. And you can see there's some similarities between those lists. There's some things that pop up more than once, like prophecy. And then there's things that are described different ways in different lists, like teaching in Romans 12 and speaking in 1 Peter 4, probably a similar type of gift being described. The most important thing I think that we need to understand about these lists is that they are not exhaustive, okay? So often the approach is, look at that list, pick one that seems to fit you, then get the brochure of church ministries and match the dots. Your gift, church ministries, right? And it's got to be from this list is often how it's spoken about. That's how I was sort of taught this, and I've, I've been guilty of presenting it that way myself. But the problem is, what if your gift is not on this list? What if you've got the gift of hospitality? And I know some of you do. And it's not up there. Now, what do you do? Well, typically what happens is the gift you do have, hospitality, gets devalued and marginalized because you don't really feel like it's a proper spiritual gift. And then you have to pick something from that list. So you pick something you don't have. You've picked the next closest thing and you do something you're not that great at. It just doesn't work. This is not an exhaustive list. I don't think Peter or Paul ever set out to write a full compendium of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are writing to particular audiences, and they are mentioning the types of gifts the Spirit gives, examples of the gifts that the Spirit gives. This list is representative. It's not exhaustive. And it's context-specific. Paul's mentioning things that are particularly important to the Corinthians. So in the Corinthian church, they were fascinated with great orators, the great Greek philosophers that espoused great wisdom and knowledge and eloquent speech. So what does Paul focus on? Wisdom, gift of knowledge, the fact the Spirit gives this gift of speaking in other tongues to show that the gifts the Spirit gives are far greater than the gifts that the Corinthians are being enamored with that they see around them. This is not an exhaustive list. So that raises the question of how do we know how broad the list goes? How do we know what is a spiritual gift then and what's not a spiritual gift? And how do you know what gift you have? Well, sometimes people distinguish between spiritual gifts and natural talents. So that theory is that a natural talent is something that you're just innately good at in and of yourself. And you kind of use that in any area of life. But a spiritual gift is a particular empowering of the Holy Spirit, usually supposed to be used particularly for ministries and church and missions and spiritual things like that. The problem with that theory is it creates this huge division between our spiritual life on the one hand and the rest of life on the other hand. This huge chasm between spiritual and secular, which is profoundly unbiblical. That division is just not there in Scripture. We are all spiritual beings. Every part of life is spiritual, and our entire selves, the entirety of us, body, spirit, soul, mind, heart, it's all spiritual. So anything that you do well is a gift of the Spirit. Anything that you are good at is a gift of the Spirit. Yes, you might have practiced it. Yes, you might have honed it. Yes, you might have learned it but it is given to you by the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God who formed you in the womb. Spirit of God breathed life into you and placed gifts within you. Any talent you've got, any skill you've got is a spiritual gift. These guys from Athletes in Action have the spiritual gift of being brilliant athletes. 
That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is no less spiritual than any of the things that were on that list. Here's a definition that I think is sufficiently broad to cover the full range of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. A spiritual gift is any ability, strength, talent, or skill that can be used to glorify God. Now, let's, we'll come to the glorify God bit in a minute, but just stick with the first part. Any skill, any talent, any ability. You may have the spiritual gift of working with children. You have an ability to connect with children, to relate to them, to draw them out, and to help them discover and learn more about the world and about themselves. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's just as important as any of the gifts that are listed in the Bible. You may have the gift of encouragement getting alongside other people and affirming them and supporting them. That's a spiritual gift. You may have the gift of being an artist, being a musician, being a great filmmaker. Those are spiritual gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit. You may be a gifted businessman or businesswoman, gifted to understand corporate structure and organizational dynamics and the way that organizations can move forward. That is a gift of the Spirit. It's a gift of the Spirit to you. You may have the gift of financial management. That's a gift of the Spirit. You may be a gifted psychologist or counselor. It's a gift of the Spirit. You might have the gift of being able to listen. I don't have that gift at all, but it's a gift of the Spirit. You might have that gift. Maybe you've got the gift of administration. Maybe you're a gifted engineer. Maybe you're a gifted tradesperson, a builder, a plumber, a plasterer, an electrician. Gifts of the Spirit, every one of them. These are not just natural talents. These are not less spiritual. These are not on the B list. They are spiritual gifts. Anything that you do well is a spiritual gift, and you should receive it as such. You should thank God for it as such. You should celebrate it, that it is a spiritual gift. Now, how do you use all of these gifts to glorify God? See, instinctively, we think... If I'm going to use this gift to glorify God, that means I am going to use it in a church ministry. And that's the only way that I can glorify God with my gift. Well, that is one of the ways that you can glorify God with your gift. It's an important way, but it's not the only way. Come back to that first example I gave. Let's say you're you're gifted at working with kids. You've got the spiritual gift of relating to and connecting with children and helping them learn. And let's say you're a teacher. You're working in that environment because you're good at it and you enjoy it. So here's the question. Is it possible for you to use your gift of working with children to glorify God in your workplace? I think the answer is yes. If you're using your gift in the context of your relationship with God, if you're using your gift with an acknowledgement that it comes from God, if you're using your gift in a way that honors God and values other people and respects His creation, you are using your gift to glorify God right there in your school, in your early childhood center, wherever it is you're working. You're glorifying God right there. You don't have to be doing a, quote, spiritual thing with your gift to use it in order to glorify God. The Bible says the birds of the air and the fish of the sea glorify God. Now, how do they glorify God? By serving in church ministries? No. By being fish. By being birds. By doing what God's gifted them and created them to do. When you use your gift right where God has placed you, 
out of an expression of your relationship with God and in a way that honors Him and honors other people, because there are ways of squandering your gifts for sure, but when you use them in a way that honors God and honors other people, you are using your gift to glorify God right there. So doesn't that have the potential to transform your workplace? Not just the church, but your workplace or your home life. You can use your gift right there. Maybe it's through being a diligent employee and working well, honoring your employer, honoring the people that you come in contact with and doing what God has gifted you to do in your day job. That's glorifying to God. Maybe it's through helping other people in some way, serving other people in some way. Colossians says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for people. When you use your gift with an acknowledgement that ultimately you are serving God with that gift and not human beings, you are glorifying Him. The ways of glorifying God are as diverse as the gifts God gives us to glorify Him. Many different ways they can be used. Many different spheres of life. All of them bring glory to God. Now, one of the ways that we can use our gifts is in the church. And this is important. This is what Paul talks about, goes on to talk about in 1 Corinthians 12. Because we've all got these gifts of the Spirit, and we're all out there during the week. We're using our gifts in different ways to bless other people, to glorify God. That's great. And then church is the context where all these gifts come together. The people of God come together, serve together, share life together. And it's like the gifts are all assembled. And the image that Paul gives us is this is like a human body being fitted together. Every person's gift is like a part of the body, a part of a human body. And in order for that body to be strengthened, in order for it to function as a healthy human body, in order for it to move forward and walk forward as a human body, it takes every one of the gifts coming together and being used and functioning with the other gifts. That means that God has gifted you and it means that you're indispensable. If you're part of our church community, it means that you're a part of this human body and in order for this body, this body of Shore Community Church, to grow up, to mature, to become the church God is molding us to be, it takes every one of the gifts being engaged in the service of God. Now, that doesn't just have to be in organized church ministries. There's many ways of doing this. I love hearing stories, and I wish I could share more, but I don't want to break people's confidentiality, but stories of people who are exercising their gifts in hidden unseen ways to bless other people. There are people in our church community that are exercising the gift of generosity towards other people, giving financial help to those who are in need, just out of their own uh, sense of love, their own embodying of the gospel, using the gift of generosity, what God has blessed them with to love and serve other people. That is using your gift to strengthen and edify Christ's body. There are people who are using their gift of hospitality to welcome others into their home. Welcome new people into the church, into their home as a way of helping them anchor and connect in the church. That is you using your gift to strengthen and edify Christ's body. There are those of you that are using your gift of encouragement. You're sending cards, you're sending texts, you're catching up with people, you're showing up. You're using the gift of encouragement to bless and to strengthen and edify the body of Christ. There's all kinds of informal, unseen ways in which you may be able to use the gift that God's given you to be a blessing to other people, to build up and to strengthen the body of Christ right here. And then there are organized ministries in the church, things that we do which have some intentionality, some structure, some organization. And God invites us and calls us to use our gifts in those ways too. 
And that may be through serving in children's ministry, serving on the worship team, serving as a life group leader, serving as a designer, as an administrator on our front of house team, set up and pack down team, wherever it is, using your gifts in an organized and intentional way to help the church be strengthened, to move forward in its ministry and its mission. But let me say this. There are also plenty of things that happen within the church that don't take any particular gift. Nobody's really got the gift of putting out chairs, do they? I mean, there are some people that are more servant-hearted than others, and that's good, but there are also things in the life of the church that just need to get done for the functioning and the logistics of the church. So let's not use our gifts as an excuse not to engage in some areas. Go, oh, I, don't, I don't have the gift. I don't have the gift of stacking chairs. Can't do it. I'm going to leave the gift stackers, gifted people to uh, chair stackers to do that thing. Let's not use it as an excuse, but let's also understand the Holy Spirit gives us responsibility for being part of a church family. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts to use, but the Holy Spirit hopefully also presses on our hearts just a sense of family responsibility to engage in the life of our church and help the things that need to get done, get done. That's part of the Spirit's work among us too. So the range of gifts that God gives is as broad as God himself and the ways that God encourages us to use those gifts, both in the church and in other spheres, is incredibly diverse. Now, what I would like to do is, uh, this is kind of a sermon of two parts this morning, but I want to focus in particular on a couple of the gifts, and a couple of the gifts that do get a bit more attention, particularly the gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy, and make some comments about those in particular, not because they're more important than any other gifts, certainly not because they're superior, but because they generate a lot of attention and they can cause a lot of confusion among Christians. So, the gift of tongues. Now, we touched on this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. On that day, when the Holy Spirit was given to God's people, one of the signs, the gifts that was given, that was poured out, was this gift given to the disciples of being able to speak in other tongues, in other languages, as a way of praising God in the tongues of the nations that were gathered there. And then the Jews from all over the world that were gathered could hear them praising God in their own tongues. Now, it seems to me from looking at the occurrences of tongues in Acts and in 1 Corinthians, and those are basically the two books where this happens, that the gift of tongues is the gift of miraculously being able to speak in other languages. I don't see it being meaningless syllables or just meaningless utterances. I think it is human languages. It seems like that's how it's portrayed consistently in Scripture. It certainly was on the day of Pentecost, other known languages, not known to the speaker, but known to someone somewhere in the world. This is a known human language. And when that tongue is spoken and there's nobody gathered who speaks that language, that's when the gift of interpretation is called for. Somebody that's then given the miraculous ability of understanding that language that's spoken and translating it so people can hear. So those two gifts go together. They accompany one another, the gift of speaking in other tongues and the gift of interpreting tongues. Now, the original purpose of tongues, there were two things that the gift of tongues was given for, and both are important. Tongues in the New Testament was a sign of salvation and it was a sign of judgment, and both are equally important. Firstly, it was a sign of salvation. It was a sign 
And we see this on the day of Pentecost, that God's salvation is now extending out beyond the boundaries of national ethnic Israel. God's redemption is moving out beyond Israel, and the doors of salvation have been flung wide to encompass all nations. All people everywhere are now invited to enter into the kingdom of God. And what better and more fitting sign to accompany that transition from exclusive salvation for Israel to inclusive salvation for the whole world than the gift of being able to speak in the languages and the tongues of the nations. Tongues is this beautiful sign and symbol that God is now desiring the praise of all peoples. He's desiring the praise of all nations. And so he gave this gift of being able to praise God in the tongues of the nations to show that the nations are being gathered in finally in this new age of the Spirit. So tongues is a sign that salvation is extending out now to all nations, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. But tongues is also a sign of judgment. And this is one that we fail to appreciate a lot, I think. Specifically, it's a fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah 28, where God talks about the coming of the Messiah, who's going to be the cornerstone, and he talks about those people who won't recognize him, those within Israel who will not recognize the Messiah when he comes. And God says to them, to unbelieving Israel, he says, Very well then, to you my word will be with foreign lips and strange tongues. That I will speak to this people with foreign lips and strange tongues. In other words, God's word to them will sound meaningless because they will be rejecting his Messiah and they will therefore be excluded from his salvation. The gift of tongues was the perfect fulfillment of that prophecy. On the day of Pentecost and following, God did speak to his people with foreign lips and strange tongues, foreign languages. And it was the fulfillment of this sign that there were many within Israel who did not recognize Jesus as Messiah. And for those who refused to acknowledge him as God's son and God's Messiah, they were being excluded from God's salvation. This is not to be disparaging of Jewish people in any way. It's simply to say this is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, that as long as they persisted in their unbelief, they were now being excluded from the salvation, which they may have felt they had by divine right or by descent from Abraham. But the gospel is now saying it is those who love and follow this man, Jesus, who are part of God's salvation. To those who refuse that, God's word becomes meaningless. That doesn't mean, of course, they can't repent and come to Jesus. They can. But as long as they're persisting in their unbelief, the gift of tongues is a sign of judgment against unbelieving Israel. So tongues is a sign of salvation, and it's a sign of judgment to those who don't accept that salvation. Now, the question is, does tongues still exist today? This is the controversial question, isn't it? And Christians are divided on this. Some Christians believe that tongues was given specifically for that first century context, for that unique moment in salvation history. Other Christians believe that it has ongoing validity for the church today. Personally, I'm open to the idea that tongues is around today. I don't see any convincing reason from Scripture that it's finished or that it's ceased. I think the Holy Spirit can and does give that gift to the church and to Christians today. I've got to admit, though, to being a little bit cautious about this gift. Uh, as far as the gift of tongue go, tongues go, uh, I describe myself in the words of one pastor as charismatic with a seatbelt. Just op open but cautious. And, and I suppose, if I'm honest with you, my, my caution just comes from the fact that this gift does seem to be prone to misuse. 
sometimes. It can be used as a bit of a showy gift. It can separate Christians into two classes, the haves and the have-nots. It can generate a bit of a mob mentality. But to be fair, all the gifts can be misused, can't they? We can misuse any gift that the Spirit gives us, and it's not a reason to write any of them off. And the fact that the gift of tongues can be abused or misused, I don't think is a reason to write it off completely. I think there are authentic times when this gift of tongues can be given by the Holy Spirit and received by Christians and used to the glory of God. I know that some of you in this church speak in tongues, and that's part of your practice of your Christian faith. It's part of your relationship with God. It's an important part of that. And that's okay. That's good. I don't want you to feel like because you speak in tongues, you're some second-class citizen in this church. That you've, it's got to be some little secret that you carry around. You're welcome here. We affirm that. If, if tongues is part of the practice of your spirituality, you are as welcome in our church as any other person. We don't disparage you because of that at all. Please don't feel like you don't fit into this community because you don't have that gift because you do have that gift, rather. Others of you don't. Others of you don't speak in tongues. Personally, I don't speak in tongues. I never have. I'm, I'm fine with that. That's okay with me. I don't feel in any way that my Christian walk is impoverished because I don't have the gift of tongues. I see it just like any of the other gifts. Some people have it. Some people don't have it, and that's fine. When we get into trouble is when we start setting any one gift up and saying everyone should have this. Everyone should practice this. It should be an expectation. I don't think that is biblical at all. But I'm quite comfortable that some have this gift and some don't, as long as we're okay with that among one another. Now, we do have a practice around the use of tongues in our church community, just for the unity of the church, and that is that we don't encourage the public proclamation of tongues in our church gatherings. That's just a practice that we have. We don't have a doctrinal position on this, but we have that practice. And that's simply because this gift does have the potential to be divisive. There are different perspectives and practices among people. And so we just ask for the unity of the church in public gatherings like this, that we don't encourage the public proclamation of tongues. If you want to speak in tongues, pray in tongues quietly as we worship, that's fine. Obviously, if you speak in tongues outside of these gatherings, that's absolutely fine. Uh, we just ask for the unity of the church that this is not a gift that we publicly proclaim in our gathered church contexts. And if you want to talk to me, talk to the elders more about this, we're happy to talk that through with you some more. Let me then just make a couple of brief comments about prophecy. Time's running out. I'll try and keep this short. The gift of prophecy, similar to tongues, the gift of prophecy is the gift of receiving a direct word or communication from God and then communicating that to the people God intends. There were prophets in the scriptures before Jesus. There were prophets in the Bible after Jesus and after Pentecost. And again, I don't see any convincing reason to believe that the gift of prophecy has died out. I think God can and, and does give this gift to the church. Some people believe that it's died out because when the New Testament was canonized and when the scriptures were put together, uh, there's no longer any need for prophecy because now we have the written, revealed word of God. And of course, if prophecy ever contradicts the Word of God, I know which way I'm going. Right? Prophecy does not usurp the Scriptures, but I think it can have a more specific function. I think a word of prophecy can be a particular and specific Word of God to a person or group at a particular time that just speaks into those circumstances. There have been times for me, I've been talking to people or praying with people, and I've just had a strong sense in my heart that God wants me to say this. And God wants me to share that. It doesn't always fit with the conversation. I might not otherwise have thought about it, but just that sense that I hope and pray comes from the Holy Spirit 
that I'm to say this. I think that can be prophecy. I don't consider myself to have that gift in an ongoing sense, but I think there have been times when that word has come and that word's needed to be shared. And it, can, it doesn't have to be a thus saith the Lord kind of experience. It doesn't have to be a big public experience. There may just be times when God places a particular word on your heart that can and should be spoken to others. Now, again, in the context of our church, we have a practice around this for the unity of the church, and that is that we are open to God speaking in these gatherings. We're open to God giving a word to somebody for the community. But we ask that if you have such a word or you believe the Holy Spirit's given you a word from God, that you bring it to one of our elders. And that is because the Bible asks us to test the spirits. In fact, one of the gifts that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 12 is the discerning of spirits. And there's a deep discernment that needs to go on there, I think, for a healthy church community. So we ask that you just come in the context of a service. And this has happened, that you have just have a quiet word with me, one of the elders, mention what God has placed on your heart, and then our elders have that spiritual responsibility of discerning whether this is indeed a word that should and needs to be spoken to the whole community or whether it can be just something that's shared and received privately. And that's just a filter we have uh, because that's the role our elders have and because we believe that's good biblical practice. So these are practices that we have to uphold the unity of the church, but we don't have a fixed doctrinal position that says everyone must believe this or practice this to be a member of our church. We allow this diversity and we love one another in spite of the fact we may have different views and practices around some of these things, right? So pulling back then just to finish to look at the whole range of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Some of you know exactly what your gift is and you're using it and you're glorifying God with it, and that's great. Some of you don't. You don't know what your spiritual gift is, and can I just encourage you along the journey of discovering that? Let me just really quickly give you a couple of questions to ask yourself if you're not sure what your spiritual gift is. One, what do you find life-giving? What do you find truly brings life to you, that you enjoy, but more than just selfish enjoyment, that you find truly fulfilling? What makes you feel alive? When was the last time you truly felt in the zone, like you're just really hitting your sweet spot? It may well be a sign of the gift that the Holy Spirit has placed within you. Another question, what do other people affirm in you? Often other people can see these gifts more clearly than you can. So listen to what's being affirmed and encouraged within you. What are you passionate about? What stirs you up? What do you have a heart for? And conversely, what aggravates you? What do you have a holy rage about? Because that could be a sign too. You may have a holy rage about injustice, and that may be a sign that you have the gift of justice, ministering justice into situations where there is injustice. And how has God used you in the past? What have you seen God do through you that is glorifying to Him, has been a blessing to other people, and has lifted up other people? Look at your story so far and see if you can discern how God has used you. If you want to have a conversation about your spiritual gift, and if you're not sure and, and how you can get connected into the church community, I'd love to talk with you more about that. Our elders, our leaders would love to, because it's such an important part of your spiritual growth. You've been gifted. We've all been gifted. And God calls us to use those gifts in many ways, diverse ways for His glory. If you don't know what that gift is, or you feel it's being underutilized or untapped, then start a conversation with God about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to surface that gift and release that gift for His service and for His glory in your life, in every single part of your life. 
Just before we take communion this morning, can we finish with a prayer, a prayer to the Holy Spirit and a prayer about the Holy Spirit that mentions the gifts, the many gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And uh, you can make this your own prayer this morning to center yourself on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, particularly as He is the giver of good gifts into our lives, into our church community. Can we have that, that, that uh, next slide up there, Dilith? Okay, let's, let's say, let's speak this prayer together as a church congregation. Here we go. Creative Spirit, come to us. Give vision to the minds you own and fill the hearts which you have made with gifts whose grace is yours alone. For you are called the Comforter, the glorious gift of God Most High, the living water, fire and love, outpouring of eternity. Make our imaginations blaze and fill our hearts with overflowing love that we who have no strength may know the strong flight of the soaring dove. Holy Spirit, we ask you to release the gifts that are present in this room. Release the gifts that you've placed in our lives. Channel them, Lord, towards your redemptive mission in this world. Help us to know the ways in which you've gifted us and to use those gifts humbly and sincerely to glorify you wherever you've placed us in our lives. We pray it for Christ's sake. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.